Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode 72. Well, I, I, I like literally finished that sentence and my brain just stopped. So let's just continue. What? I am one of your hosts, Mike <laughs> okay. Martin. And I am joined by two co-hosts, Alex Fasciani and Jesse Cox. Hi. No, I finished that sentence and like there was nothing left. That's like, the that first it. mystery. Was, Where did it go? That was dead blank in my brain. Uh, it happens. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I feel great. I mean, yeah, I'm in a great good. zone. Great. Excellent. Good. Great. Excellent. Good. Good. Uh, you know, Alex, you said you had something exciting to tell us at the top of the podcast. So before we dive into murderage. Yeah. Okay. So check this out. So what if I just went into a Patreon spiel right now? How funny would that be? Do it. Uh, do it up. I'm ready. <laughs> no. You got uh, 10 minutes. So I went camping this weekend uh, to this like dry ass lake bed and my campsite was on the lake bed. And this, uh, this like noise started happening and I wasn't, I wasn't sure what that noise was right away. Uh, but then I realized that like, it's, it's coyotes and Kelly and I were both up and she was like about to go to the bathroom and she like heard the noise and she was like, uh, (laughs) I think I'm gonna step back from the door. But I, so the next night we recorded it. And uh, I, I just linked you guys her Instagram post about it uh, so you guys can see it. But listen to this and then think about like skinwalkers and stuff like that. And then tell me that like you don't see how somebody could like imagine something like a skinwalker. It won't load for me. So <laughs> I'm going to have to. Something like just go Instagram slash Polka Kells. I'll leave the I'll drop the oh, link what to even it. It sounds like little cute coyotes. Like, yeah. Oh. I'll drop it into the uh, I'll drop it into the uh, the subreddit or the Reddit after this. Coyotes in the middle of the night because I have coyotes out in the woods nearby, and sometimes at night you can hear them going off. Um, and red foxes, red foxes when they scream, it sounds like a dying woman. See this sound, this this sounds like an actual coyote in the distance. Like you can hear it and it's making little chirps. I raise you one. The birds outside my apartment at night <laughs> birds. sound like the Joker. It's crazy. I'm not even. uh, They they totally do, and we discovered the reason why is because they're making babies. Oh yeah, having a good ass time. Yeah, in the spring, if you open up the windows at night, all you hear is like, (laughs) you're like, whoa, what is that? That's the it's goblin the that takes your toys away and that you <laughs> gaslights you into believing you're not a, not experiencing anything. <laughs> Unlike us, where we try to take your money away and gaslight you into believing things are happening what? over Why on Patreon. Isn't that right, Alex? That? What a wonderful website Patreon is. It enables <laughs> creators like us to make fantastic top tier content like this that you're listening to right now. And we can do it as our main real jobs at a consistent rate. And you guys, if you sign up, not only do you get great custom art every month, not only do you get ad-free episodes with none, except for this ad, which is, I think, a fan favorite at this point. Let's be honest. Everybody loves to hear me talk about this. Uh, and, and, and. I do. It, I know. I know my, I know Matt's story. And <laughs> mini sodes. Don't forget mini yeah, and that's what I'm getting to. If you get to the end of the episode and you're feeling like, no, I need just a little bit more Chiluminati in my life today. Good news for the past like 35 episodes, we've been doing a little bonus, a little bonus. And you might have noticed them popping up on the feed every once in a while, every couple of weeks. But let me tell you, we're so far ahead of where you're at in the mini sods that there's 
there's a there's a veritable treasures trove of minisodes for you to jump into. So if you feel like you're not getting your Chaluminati chill quota this week, head on down to patreon.com slash Chaluminati pod and we'll set you straight for very little money. We'll set you straight. We'll set you this straight. This is why we brought Alex onto this podcast. Thank you, Alex. I'm, a, I I'm, very the, much I'm the top tier level of huckster. S plus. Yeah. Snake oil appreciate it. is my breakfast. <laughs> that was your ranking for today's 10 minute pitch. Yeah. S plus. We appreciate it. Except for Jesse, but that's fine. When no, Jesse never fan, appreciates it, fan. but that's why we have him around as well. That's all I'm not saying. Today, boys, all right. <laughs> Jesse doesn't like it when shows sell out to big us, big ourselves. Big ourselves. <laughs> Only corporations, thank you very much. <laughs> all right, boys, let's dive into episode 72, part two of the murderer known as Robert Irwin. Now, of part one, we mostly, and by mostly, I mean almost exclusively covered his father, Benjamin Irwin. And while his father was a deadbeat drunkard who abused his wife and children emotionally and physically until he ditched his family for the affair of a younger woman after dedicating himself to the new Pentecostal movement and becoming a street preacher after his failed attempt at cult leadership as the Apostle of Fire, also known as the Mystic Renegade, <laughs> dear Robert Irwin's early life still had glimpses of potential normalcy. Yes, Jesse. I forgot he was the Mystic Renegade. That's a still, the Mystic Renegade. Still the amazing. Apostle Fire. This the, dude, a whiskey baptized preacher. This dude is all my comic book indie comic book OCs from like 2005. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really into like Warren Ellis and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Today, though, we focus on the childhood and upbringing of dear old Robert, the man who would murder three. During his childhood, while his two brothers were out committing felonies at a regular pace and getting themselves into trouble with the law, Robert typically stayed home with his mother to help with housework, even if that house was nothing was nothing more than what the boys called a shelter, each one having to rotate who took a turn sleeping on the porch at night as there was not enough room for the four of them to sleep in. Their mother, Mary, had given everything to the church and continued to do so completely ignoring her own children in service of this church. They consistently subsisted on food that they begged from the local bakery every week. So while his father was a zealous cult leader for selfish reasons, his mother was just as fanatical, but what I would call one who truly believed what she was doing was for God. But even among all of that, Robert was seen as exceptionally bright and hardworking. In his entrance exam to school, he did so well that he actually skipped second grade entirely while also being an avid reader, tearing through whatever books he could get his grubby little mitts on, including Plutarch's Lives, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and his personal favorite, Francois, Gu uh, I'm going to butcher this last name, Guizot's A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times. Hmm. Love to read. So far, However, we're exactly the same. Yeah, no, he's, he's relatively, you know, normal, but it wouldn't be long before he too became, quote, more unruly and less attentive and developed a tendency for truancy, which he later in life blamed on a growing realization that he and the other children were different. He was dirty, had old torn clothing and had no shoes whatsoever and no lunch while all the other children within his classroom did and children being children. They were cruel and made fun of him for it. His bad behavior carried over to home where he began to start fighting with his mother more and more over the religion, telling her to, quote, stop stuffing the Bible down his throat. And in July 1919, 
uh, uh, Robert Irwin's mother filed with the court for the state to take custody of her own then only 11 year old child, claiming an inability to take charge for his care. And soon after, just after turning 12 years old, a week later, Robert was taken by the state and put in a juvenile hall before being sent to Strickland home for boys, where he would join his youngest brother, Pember, who had been there for some time already. I forgot his brother's name was Pember. And Vindolin, his oldest brother. That's the best name. <laughs> I love that name. Vindolin? Again, for, for everybody who's enjoying, who enjoys the story and you want more, I'm leaving a ton out about their brothers. So if you want to go do your research, do some reading. Uh, the Mad Sculptor is the main source for here uh, for this uh, research project. But there's a lot about their brothers. They were doing all kinds of stuff. However, like cool stuff or be, killer stuff? Uh, not killer stuff with your brothers. Other, other more like like uh, just kind of criminal acts on the street. And it's covered more if you do some more research, but we're just ignoring the brothers for the most part. <laughs> we're kind of putting them off to the sorry, side. Sorry, history. Yeah, sorry. Not Pembera. today, Otherwise, it will be a seven-part series. If you ne- are doing a tabletop Star Wars RPG, though, <laughs> right, you've got some killer Imperial officer names in Pember oh, and Vindolin is definitely an ISB officer. Yeah. That's what my nerds out <laughs> there. Really That's what my is. nerds out there. They're like, ISB! Of course he would. Yeah. He said ISB! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know what would have helped that ISB agent, Jesse? Therapy. That's why we would like to thank today's sponsor of the episode, Talkspace. It's not easy to prioritize yourself. Just look at all of the Imperial agents. They definitely prioritize the Emperor and the Death Star over themselves. So it's not easy to prioritize yourself when there's a lot on your plate. And the world is kind of, well, it's 2020. But investing in your own mental health has long-term benefits. And with Talkspace, it's actually affordable. Unlike in-person therapy sessions, Talkspace gives you 24-7 access to your online therapy room. Send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist and they'll respond daily, five days a week. Best of all, an entire month on Talkspace costs about the same amount as a single in-person session. And for me, I do want to actually go to bat for Talkspace here. I've been with my personal therapist for a long time now, and she actually is the one that directed me to Talkspace when it came time to need to uh, look into medication and so on. And Talkspace was genuinely easy to use, and I genuinely do recommend it. I actually was using it before we even started taking advertising for the podcast, so please take this from me as somebody who is, has experience with this thing. The biggest thing is that the therapist network on Talkspace is huge. The Talkspace network is composed of thousands of licensed therapists who have experience in over 40 specialties, including but not limited to treating depression, <laughs> anxiety, oh God. Substance abuse, trauma, relationship issues, food and eating, and much, much more. Listen, the bottom line is therapy is important, and we all need someone to talk to. And Talkspace wants to give us the support we deserve at a price we can afford. As a listener of this podcast, you're going to get $100 off from your first month of Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app and make sure you use the code CHILL to get that $100 off your first month and show your support to the show. That's CHILL. C H I L L and talkspace.com. Well, <laughs> that's all the people uh, who read it. Be staying at this place for long, <laughs> the, uh, the Strickland home for boys for long. It was here that he actually received his first full medical examination of his entire life. And it's here where he learned at the age of 12 that he had congenital syphilis. Whoa. And as his, and as their mother had moved to Portland to join a congregation meeting, 
that lasted seven months, it would be in this place with his brother where he had to come to grips with this. Now, also, as as uh, the, doing a little bit of digging, it seems like the likely place where syphilis came, the syphilis came from was his father. However, all the boys had it. Vindelin, Pember, he did. They all had uh, all had syphilis. And as I said, during this time, when when Robert was put into the home for boys, his mother ended up moving again over to Portland to join a congregation meeting of the Pentecostal movement, a meeting that lasted seven entire months before she finally decided that she was just going to stay in Portland permanently and moved in with one of her others, one of the others within her religion, religious congregation. From there, she sent for her two youngest boys at the behest of the woman she moved in with, moved in with. And Pember and Robert were then released from state care back into Mary's custody, and they moved to Portland and rejoined normal school up that way. And early on, even through his difficult times, Robert showed promising signs within visual arts. He devoured more books, renting them from the library and ripping out pages of sculptors and other pieces of art that he liked, saving up as much money as he could so that he eventually could buy his first set of modeling clay. And he did. However, home life continued to be difficult as as his mother continued to give as much of her little petty income as she could to the church. Eventually, Robert ended up with a job at the age of 14, stocking shelves at a department store in downtown Portland. But in something that would become a massive pattern, he lasted just under six months before he, quote, savagely assaulted a co-worker for a perceived slight. The owner of the store saying, quote, he was crazy mad, end quote. We don't know what that thing was, though. Insulted. My guess from what the going the going uh, pattern is, is that he Robert Irwin had a massive thing being seen as gay. And any time he was seen as, quote, a fairy, queer, um, anything that that uh, uh, leaned toward him being perceived as gay, he flew off the handle and beat the shit out of whoever said it. He never would have made it through middle school in the 2000s. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. (coughs) But before Robert would lose that job, our dear boy would have his first epiphany. One that began to indicate something much more wrong with the boy. During one shift at the department store, he and a co-worker were in the back room folding polka dot fabric. And then suddenly, (laughs) I know, right? Bizarre little detail. And then suddenly, without warning, Robert described the following happening to him. The polka dot material seemed to leave my hands and without any human effort, move straight up to my face. His, his legs went weak, suddenly slamming himself up against the nearby doorway to hold himself up. The co-worker, also his boss, was there watching the whole thing go down. When he watched Robert stumble into the door, he asked if something was wrong. And that's when the full realization hit Robert, saying, quote, That's when the whole thing came to me in full force. The reason people have so much difficulty in doing things is that they have such a hard time getting things in their head. You have to visualize first. Before a sculptor can make a statue, he has to make a mental statue. And the reason that even the greatest sculptor has such a difficult time making a statue is because he doesn't get it clearly in his mind first. That first, they must create a mental prototype. And it's this visualization theory that Robert proclaimed so openly as something so new and groundbreaking that he would obsess over this to the, for the rest of his life to the point of his own detriment. This is like but it super villain there. 
origin story <laughs> vibes right now. Except, you know, something that's not all that revelatory in terms of like, you know, doing any art, thinking about the piece. You kind of just have the- to, to make it right. You, yeah, yeah. You know, that's like, it's typical. However, the revelations didn't stop there and they continued quote. I expect someday to be able to form an absolutely clear and perfect image in my mind to be able to actually project it into the air before me so that I can actually see it there with my material eyes, just as I see material objects. I expect to be able to hold it and make other people see it, end quote. And that's where he crosses the line into delusion, where he truly begins to believe that if he can just visualize this thing strong enough, he'll be able to make it pop into existence before him and everybody will be able to see it. I've been trying to research while you were talking about his ability to transmorphicate uh, things in uh, front of call him. It visualization. Yeah, Jesse. yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I can't. So I know that congenital syphilis is a thing. And I know that eventually if untreated syphilis can lead to like m- massive brain damage. So yeah, I'm trying to figure out if congenital syphilis yes. can lead to brain damage. I don't uh, something. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's definitely worth thinking about and something we're going to explore in the final episode next week. All right. Yeah. Cause I'm looking up and but, I've no, you know, uh, the internet breaks everything down to like syphilis and secondary syphilis yes. and latent syphilis, <laughs> but there is no like connectors between anything. It's like, well, yeah. all these can happen. And then children can be born with syphilis if you've got syphilis, but they don't say mm-hmm. like, is it all the same? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm researching and back diving. in the 1920s too, where medicine yeah. is like extremely basic. Mm-hmm. So he's, He's truly believing he can visualize and what it's also important to keep in mind too. Vindolin and Pember didn't get to this great level of like breakdown, you know, but anyway, and with this new obsession of visualization, he immediately attempted to put it into practice. Robert would go in his room, take all the pictures that he had ripped out of his art books to initially for the per- uh, initially rather for the purpose of inspiration and then continue to lay them all out before him. He would then spend Hours staring at them in excruciating detail, attempting to memorize every single aspect of each painting. Then, after studying them, he would turn out all the lights, sit in his bed, and attempt to imagine those pictures so vividly that his brain could project them into the darkness. He just got like hype on remembering shit. (laughs) Yeah, he would sit there and like bring them super close up and like every minute stroke, color, detail of the paintings and he was just trying to memorize them all uh, as, as, as like perfectly as he could. And uh, unsurprisingly and unfortunately for our dear Robert, none of this worked with him saying, quote, anybody can concentrate entirely on a thing for a moment or two. But after that, it gets to be a strain. Frustrated, but not deterred. He decided to develop a new tactic. He went on to hire a local boy to call him out. Anytime he broke focus and to keep track of the time he could focus before he ended up breaking his concentration and looking away. A local this boy? That, what? Yeah, a local boy. He just, a local nearby boy that was younger than he was, he was just paying to sit there and watch him. be like, hey, 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 look at the painting. Yep. <laughs> no, but that's exactly it. That was exactly <laughs> what he was doing. He had the boy sit there and watch him and time him. And he'd be like, hey, you broke your concentration. And then, and then uh, Rob would be like, all right, how long did I focus for? And he'd be like, 29 seconds and he tried to do better the next time and do better the next time. What is that game that we played on scary game squad uh, with the painter? 
Oh, layers um, of fear. Layers of yes. fear. Yeah, dude, this is like creepy. Like this is like that very much that. It, it, and it gets even worse and weirder. It does. So uh, the boy's father, however, was not aware of what his boy was doing with Robert every day and was worried that he was engaging in, quote, something queer and immediately stopped the boy from helping Robert, stealing mm. away his concentration coach. But Robert continued to take books from the library and steal pictures from them. Eventually, his pictures numbered in the thousands. And in 1924, a public librarian finally filed a complaint, complaint charges against Robert, and he was convicted as a, delinqu a delinquent minor while being given a suspended sentence under the condition that he paid $53.88 in restitution money, or in today's cash, a bit over 800 bucks. I, I almost pre pre murder -er, <laughs> I almost like I feel bad for this kid because it seems like there's a lot about his backstory so far that he just kind of either wants to feel love or to love someone yep. or something. And he's got yeah. none of that. And anytime he shows it to anyone, his dad's like, what are you queer? And he's yeah, like pretty much as and I mean, we will we'll, we don't get into it too much in this episode, but like he also didn't lose his virginity until the age of 20. And when he lost it, it was to a prostitute. And initially for him and, and we're not talking, I'm just going to go over it real quickly. But initially, like it was he paid for her and they just did their their thing. But then she hung out and they slept together a few more times and they had a good night together and they kind of started seeing one another. And then one day she was arrested and she disappeared. And he never saw her again. And the, then the way he kind of saw women after that and the way he treated women after that kind of all tumbled downhill. She disappeared. She was arrested and then disappeared off the streets, likely maybe moving to work a different place because he would go. He would meet her where she would work. I see. He would meet her on the street. So if she moved to different streets and she couldn't find him, he couldn't find her again. I mean, 1920s, you got no beeper, no way of reaching out if she ain't there. God, I mean, how far away from like normal human interaction is that? That is so depressing. It's, <laughs> yeah, a lot of his, a lot, like Jesse said, a lot of his childhood is super depressing. And a lot of killers end up being like this. I wouldn't call him a serial killer. He's more of a spree killer, a rage killer. He did he it once. He just gets brought to the brink yeah. and he snaps once. But you can, but you can understand close. that. Like based on everything going on with his life so far, yeah. you can understand how he's not a meticulous like, and then after I chop the bodies up, then he's not that guy you can clearly see that he is a not dude who's anyway. like yeah. i have stuff inside of me and yes. my entire life people have been beating me down and i'm gonna unleash a beast like you can you if can you, just you see take, it you, you just take that anger and you mix it with cult-like upbringings sure. and bizarre bizarre like fantasy delusions of, of like visualization and eventually teleportation and you have a mess for you know ahead of you. Yeah. But we will continue. So we had to pay a little over eight hundred dollars in today's money in restitution for all the pictures that he ripped out of the uh, the local public libraries. So he needed to pay it off, and he decided no, he needed another job. So finding another job as a stock boy to attempt to help pay off that now debt that only lasted a few short weeks before he once again flew off into a rage at his supervisor, viciously beating him at the store. He was fired, but he was not arrested, and his mother moved away once again with her religion, leaving her two boys alone in Portland. And at the age of 18, Robert committed himself to the domestic relations court, asking them asking to be taken into a reform school. His request was granted, and he once again joined Pember at the Oregon State Training School for Boys. And this whole it's time important. he was still doing the painting thing? 
Uh, well, he was, yeah, he was still like, he enjoyed doing art and now he was doing that as his own like little hobby. Um, and it's also important, like him going to the domestic relations court as an adult and, and asking to be taken in doesn't actually surprise me all that much because during his time as a young kid at the other uh, school with Pember during those seven months, uh, it was the time he actually speaks and, and talks about that time way more fondly because they gave him clothes and they gave him hot food and he had, you know, he was treated like a normal kid and he had really fond memories of it. So he just like wasn't to, abused by the people taking care of him. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. But at this point, at 18 years old, too much had happened to him. And going into the Oregon State Training School for Boys, while maybe smart initially, didn't end up working out like it did the last time. Unlike the last time where he seemed to enjoy his stay, this time around, Robert had become much more violent in the interim. Sure. <clears throat> Those who, he, who knew him said he would be the sweetest and happiest guy around, smiling always. And then, in an instant, become a monstrous animal if provoked to anger. And one guy named Danny really had it out for him, consistently poking fun at his, quote, manhood. One day while having lunch, there was only a small heel of bread left as well as one larger normal piece. While Danny was reaching for the normal piece, Robert reached out and snatched it away before he could grab it, prompting Danny to throw a curse his way. This sent Robert into a frenzy and he jumped up and began to fight Danny. However, it didn't last too long before the two were separated. But it wouldn't be before long before they crossed paths again, with Robert once again prompting a fight, saying, quote, if he wanted a scrap, he'd be happy to give him one. And Danny once again cursed him out. And this time, Robert went in hard. It took the better part of you an hour. You know times before- are rough when a piece of bread causes this. Dude, yeah, when, no when shit. bread causes, like, I will kill you, you know you times are tough. It took people the better part of an hour before they could pull Robert off of Danny. While, while Danny ended up breaking his fingers and his whole ear had been completely cauliflowered. In 1927, at the age of 22, he beat Robert him for was an hour? Oh, for a better part of an hour before people could get God him off of him. damn. He was just on that him. Is, just that like is an animal. That is stamina, like, too. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's just pure rage. Yeah. Pure rage and adrenaline I've just never carrying been, him. like violently angry for 45 minutes that's like ins- right that's I, I would i would wager based on all the descriptions of people talking about him how he was nice then i imagine it's one of those like hulk things where he's like he's always angry but he puts on a good show yeah so I, no, I have a feeling that's what it is truthfully he's just pure rage all yeah, the time yeah and he just smiles he's stayed in this house for boys for four years and in 1927 at the age of 22 robert was paroled where he attempted once again to go live with his mother. It's there that he learned of his father's passing at the age of 70, at the age of 71, where his father passed in the home of a 40 year old widow and violent fights with his mother began almost immediately before he packed his bags and left Portland completely heading for where else, but the land of dreams, baby LA (laughs) got another one. (laughs) This guy's going to turn out to be like my dad or something. (laughs) (laughs) On the way, Robert would work a variety of jobs, specifically in San Francisco, from dock can to lumberjack, fruit picker, cannery worker, all while he hitchhiked his way to L.A. And finally, he arrived and he looked like shit. He desperately needed a haircut. And so he strode into a local barber shop and sat in the chair while one of the two barbers immediately, quote, took him for a fairy. And as he was cutting his hair, what? some had fallen on 
What is happening to him? What like that's what? But this is Robert's words. He this is what he said. He said they took him for a ferry. You got to take it at Robert's words wait, whether this so, actually so happened or not. Again, this is Robert talking about himself. Robert talking about how the barbers perceived him. He walked into a barber shop because he was dirty as hell, needed a haircut, and he said the barbers took him for a ferry. I f- man, this guy needs to like I don't know. <laughs> He is dealing but with then this happened. He's dealing with supposedly. Some things. He's dealing supposedly with supposedly this happened though. So as he was cutting, how his hair was getting cut, some of his hair fell into his mouth. And the barber made a comment saying it looked like he had been sucking someone off. <laughs> I can't I know what what, what? what? <laughs> how did this Look, keep I'm, happening to him? I'm just gonna know. say it feels like this is an obsession of his. That's probably that, a yes. deep seated like if this is the only thing you're taking away from this entire conversation. Robert I mean, might have wanted to put a penis in his mouth at some point. Is all all, saying, it might be uh, deeply, he's, he's deeply deep buried. seated issues. And it's just like, dude, whoo, I <laughs> now. Now, here's a moment in, in Robert's life where I wonder how much of this is actually instant and how much of this is playing. Because, of course, this triggered Robert. But unlike before, Robert waited patiently. For the haircut to finish. And as soon as the haircut was finished, he sprung to his feet and began to beat the barber mercilessly before the other barber came over and tried to get him off, failing. So he ran over, grabbed a nearby bottle, and smashed it over Robert's head, causing Robert to stumble off of the other barber. There was a beat cop on the sidewalk, but Robert ended up blasting out through the front door with his hand covered and running down the street. The beat cop went into the barber shop, and Robert got away scot free. So, uh, I mean, how much of it is is like uncontrollable rage? If you're going to be able to sit there and finish your haircut, planning, being like, when I'm done, I'm going to beat the fuck well, out of this guy. I think it goes back to the idea that he is always raging, and yes, he hides it well, and he knows when to unleash it and when not to, or at least he's learning to. He's learning mm-hmm. when he can get away with it and when he can't. And so he's making judgment calls like, well, I don't want half a haircut. So I'll wait. Which makes him more dangerous. Yeah. I think that seems a little bit more like serial killery actually to me. Yeah, that's that's, you know, and and I still don't necessarily believe he's a serial killer. But the minute you can stop yourself from, you know, holding back your anger and being like, I will beat you when you're I'm get what I want from you first. Then it's like, okay, are you starting to embrace this, this violent side of you? I think maybe that's closer to what it, you have to imagine yeah. that once you initiate your first hour long beat down, you learn a <laughs> lot of valuable lessons about that and how and, much you like it. Yeah. You learn. And also you learn like when it is appropriate to do that and when you can get, you know, there's a lot of things that you learn from. They always say like, uh, even though I have no experience with it, you know, I've watched enough movies yeah. and documentaries to know that like, if you ever kill a person, it always gets a little bit easier every time you do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. escalation, I, right? I, I, escalation, serial killer escalation. Yeah, that's what, like you just, and, and, and so I have to imagine that there's something akin to that here where he's like, look, yeah. I'm escalating everything I'm doing. I'm being smarter about it. I don't know. I'm going to show you boys a picture real quick. And for anybody who's out there and wants to look at him, this is important. Just going into like, how does he keep getting these things? You have to understand Robert was actually a pretty good looking dude. So I'm going to show you a picture of Robert on the camera here. That's a, uh, that's Robert there. I don't know if you can kind of see him all that well. <laughs> all right. Let's stress. He was a good looking dude for the 1920s, the twenties. He's a, tw- he's a twenties typical, like 
decent Although, looking. It looks on like that Andrew Ryan. On the it s- does look like Andrew Ryan. Holy shit. On the same if page. If you grew a mustache? Is a, uh, like just a young naked woman. Is that from the story? Should we know her? Yes. Uh, the people he killed, naked models that he ended up falling in love. We'll get to in a part three. I didn't know that's what he was doing. Oh, yeah. He gets man. into sculpting later. This guy well, is lit. Uh, this guy has to be studied in psychology classes. Everything I about him is. is like peak psych 101. Yeah, Everything. There's a lot. Yeah. From like this is a great story. Dating the prostitute to she vanishing to him focusing on like naked models, like everything to his dad and the way he treated him to like his it's obsession like, with yeah, not it's being like called a parody, gay, like cliche oh my version. Yeah. Yeah. It, everything about it. You're like, what the? It's yep, so quintessential. It's yeah. So while Robert ran off bleeding from the head, the years continued. And Robert was still quite presentable now that he had gotten to where he was going, bathed, haircut, and he spent the rest of his money on what good clothes he could. And while he wasn't losing his mind, it was actually able to land, he was actually able to land a job, being hired on the spot at the studio of Carlo Romanelli, which worked in prop making for Hollywood at the time in the 1920s. Hollywood, California. Uh, exactly. This is, this is also the point where he stops doing jobs that are kind of just like stocking shelves and he truly starts to explore his art the artistic side of himself and he would hold onto that job for a year for honing his craft improving his works while he fervently and with and while ah, i'll try that again while he fervent with a passion while he fervently with a passion obsessed over visualization and that obsession only continued to grow spewing his beliefs to anyone at the studio who could bear to listen with to his proclamations like quote i mean to be able to get my mental picture clear then uh then i'll be able to do things that no sculptor ever dreamed of i'll be able to make a bust of somebody i haven't seen for years just by copying my mental picture of that person and i'll do it so fast that michelangelo himself would say to me quote how the hell did you do that it's so weird that like being efficient with his sculpting is like important to him as an artist it's it's less about the sculpting and more about this visualization. Yeah, because yeah, visualization like a mind is, palace library of yes, everything he's yes. ever seen. He thinks he has one. He thinks he can do it. Does he? Is it possible that he has a, what's it called? No. Eidetic memory? He does not have, well, he doesn't have uh, like an eidetic memory or a photographic memory or any of that shit. He definitely does not. That is, but he's still extremely talented and clearly has a lot of skill. And eventually, though, after about a year of this, his co-workers eventually got sick of his ramblings, and one of them told him to his face that they were annoyed of hearing about his visualizations. And, as you might have guessed, he thought that it sent him into a violent rage uh, okay. as he beat the person down, forcing the studio to let him go and fire him. But they did not arrest him. But it's from this, finally freed from this job, and having recently read about the captivating accounts of Laredo Taft in Chicago at his Midway studio, Robert packed his bags and hopped on a train headed for Chicago. And in May 1929, walking through the gates of the studio that he was hoping to work at, to his right, serendipitously, a door swung open, members of the studio walked out, and a stranger calling over to Robert asked for a little help. And moving something. What? There he walked over and helped. And he was told that he would be brought face to face with the Midway studio owner, Taft himself. And so being brought. It's a movie. He present. What was that? It's like a movie moment. Yeah, it's, 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 
it gets even crazier. It's like a Coen Brothers because there, script. He was he was presented with them and how hoping that he get a chance to show off his art to somebody at the studio to get a, sh- a shot. He was now faced with the owner of the studio and Robert Erdwin presented him with his art pieces. And he also declared that he had come over 2000 miles to study under Taft. And with a year of experience at the Romanello studio under his belt, his artwork was instantly impressive. And from there, he was welcomed to the studio offered a one-week living situation, which would then turn into a permanent one. But this, too, would end just as everything else had ended, with a fight. You see, Taft had actually brought Robert Irwin into his own home, where he had housed a few different students uh, under tutelage under him. And one of those housemates one day had saw Bob in uh, in the kitchen. And later on that day, challenged Bob to a little sparring wrestling match for fun, not, not for anger. He was like, aren't you that guy who's been beating the shit out of everybody who calls you gay? (laughs) Let's fight. (laughs) No, he hadn't beaten anybody up yet. It's just, he just wanted to wrestle. He just thought it would be fun. So he ended up wrestling him and he agreed in the first round, the roommate won. So when the second round started, he was surprised when Robert came out with a fury and violence that he hadn't had in the first round, hitting him square in the jaw and knocking him right to the ground. Robert threw his hands up and declared himself the winner, but the housemate asked for just one more round, and Robert accepted. This time around, the housemate went in just as hard, and with a flurry of blows, summarily beat down Robert. Robert then, after standing up, asked for a rematch, but was then declined. He was furious. A few days later, in the kitchen of the home that the both of them were staying, Robert was there drying his dirty socks on a kitchen counter where people ate. What the f- That same housemate that he had just lost the wrestling match to entered the kitchen and raised concern with this. And without a word, after raising his concern, the following happened by his, the housemate's own, uh, his own word. Quote, without any common or word of warning, Robert suddenly attacked me. He leaned over the table and hit me some hard. Stunning blows. I was trapped and almost helpless. By the time I could wiggle my way out, I was badly hurt. He was off in a fury. To me, the situation was very, very bad. I was trying to push him off, but then I saw it was hopeless and tried to fight. But I was already beaten. I was bleeding so much from the nose and mouth that the floor became slick with my blood. I wanted to end this. I tried to pick up a milk bottle and I was going to hit him on the head but I didn't have the strength to do it. He just kept beating me on and on and on. By then, a man from next door came running in and tried to stop him, tried to stop him, but he was too little. He couldn't pull him off. Somebody called the police and suddenly, Irwin slipped on my blood. I seized the opportunity to run downstairs. I ran down and he ran after me. We struggled a while again, but I got away. I went next door to our friends and spent the night. The next day, I moved to a hotel nearby. I believe he would have killed me there. Over his fucking socks? His socks? Yep. Well, the deep-seated, he got beaten in a wrestling match, and I think he just held on to that. And then this was just his reason to beat the person up that, uh, that beat him in a wrestling and whose match. Idea, again, and whose idea was the wrestling match again? That guy. The guy The guy that he just beat up. Like It was just a few days before he got beat up, and he was just like, hey, you want to wrestle? Like Let's wrestle. It'll be fun. And so they did. That's what you do in the 20s. And then he lost, and he got mad, and he held on to it for days. And then when he got a perceived slight about drying his socks on a nearby counter, he uh, flipped out. Good Lord. 
Yeah, it's rough. It's extremely rough. And again, this is another moment where I'm like, has the flip, has the, the switch in his head turned? Has he flipped the switch where now he's waiting days to beat somebody up? He's waiting for a reason that, per, that in his mind, he can justify it. But I don't know. It's, it's nuts. This, of course, lost him his position at the studio. And by 1930, completely out of jobs and after a failed self-plaster bust business, which, by the way, he attempted to start a whole self-business where he created miniature plaster busts of celebrities in the 20s. Like, just like unlicensed, like, knickknack? Yep. And you want to know a really fun story? It's not in this. He called out, he, he rang Al Capone. He rang Capone to, to, to make a bust about him. He had just gotten out of prison for the first time after like a, a few months stints for like, you know, some, some small charges. And he reached out and Capone actually reached back. But he was in the moment laying low and hiding and had no interest in, in having a bust made of him. Just two cases of syphilis talking to each other on the phone. It really is. What's it's up, nuts. dude? You crazy? <laughs> Hell yeah, me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so completely out of jobs and after a failed self-business, Robert ended up almost prophetically carving tombstones for a living. Good Lord. However, <laughs> no, he was desperate to put his talents to use and his obsession with visualization had begun to stretch beyond the boundaries of sculpting, uh, beyond the boundaries of sculpting and art as his grip on reality slowly began to slip and true depression, I think, began to sink in. And so in his desperation to be something more, Robert packed up and moved again one last final time off to New York City. And this guy uh, got like the whole great American novel on him. Yeah, he really did. It's like Gatsby. But it's here. It's, it's here his violence would explode and further would begin to seep into his fantasies. At one of his lowest points, debating committing suicide, he decided that he wouldn't do it by his own hand, but by murdering the old woman who had taken him in in New York, what? getting caught, and then being sent to the electric chair to die. What? He wouldn't even, yeah, his own violent fantasies about suicide were like, that's what he was visualizing constantly. Uh, he wanted to murder the old lady he was keeping him and then go to the electric chair and die that way. He was disturbed, however, by his own violent fantasies, and he presented himself to the Winifred Masterson Burke Relief Foundation. And it's from his time spent here, we truly learn the Robert Irwin is a deeply disturbed man and that his violent fantasies and bizarre obsession with magical power of visualization began to mesh with his out-of-control sex drive. During his nine-month stay, he became close friends with a man named Chuck Smith. And Chuck had this to say about his friend's fanatical theorizing. Quote, he has ideas about, uh, he has ideas that are more obtruse than that? Einstein's. I'm sorry, it was an accent I, I, coming like, up? I, he has I ideas like, about, you're, <laughs> no, you're in it now, do the accent, right. man. He has ideas that are more obtruse than Einstein's. Who at the time was privy to Bob's newest obsession, his determination to funnel all of his libido into his visualization work. So right at this moment, he's trying to take all his sexual energy and somehow funnel it into, into concentrating. But if there's anything I know about being horny, you cannot concentrate on, on anything other than wanting to fuck. Strongly disagree. I've been doing a lot of work the last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, been putting but, a lot of effort. Doing great. Chuck continued saying that Bob continually talked about bottling up his sexual urges and at the same time, couldn't stop talking about women's breasts. It is one of the only things that Bob would talk about beyond his visualization obsession. He enjoyed 
every aspect of a woman's breast. Even going wild. It's it's like weird, like specifically focused on a boob. I um, love boobs. I just want to say, Alex, you may remember this, but to everyone out there, if you've never seen a movie called Frankenhooker. Oh, my uh, God. I have never seen Frankenhooker. By the way, Bill Murray says is Bill Murray says is one of the best movies ever made. Um, He's not wrong. Here's what I'll say. During that movie, there's a scene in which the crazy mad scientist is like raiding boobs and he pokes this one woman's nipple. And as Alex said, he goes, awesome, utterly awesome. <laughs> utterly and now that's awesome. all I can think about with this dude is this Early. dude just being like, utterly awesome. <laughs> this dude is, this dude, okay, so this guy's reputation around town is he beats the shit out of everybody that he This talks. is his reputation in the psych ward he admitted himself to. Right. Gotcha. But, I mean, in life, this is his reputation. Oh, in life. Yes. Is he is the guy who goes around beating the shit out of people who disagree with him. And he just like loves talking about titties all the time. No, I yes. I don't know. If that's accurate. I feel like his reputation is everyone is kind of like, oh, that's the guy who definitely has some deep seated issues. <laughs> like everyone, the, <laughs> yeah. everyone like makes fun of the dude constantly. And so yeah. I feel like he's that guy who always has to stand up like for his manhood. He's the joke. He can't handle yeah, it. You're, you're, you're exactly correct. Not to cut you off, but like, again, I left out a bunch of, there's a bunch of stories where he just is sent into a violent rage because he's perceived or somebody made a comment to him that immediately made him think like that had to do with his, with the manhood or being gay. And it was that was his trigger point. Yeah. And it seems like it. every time he's gone off the handle, it seems like it's because someone questioned him as a man, which is like, oh, that is my, my dude. Right. Reflects, it does, that reflects on our our uh, our culture a little bit, too, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Oh, absolutely. And I and it's 100 percent. It's a little crazy to think like that's his. It's kind of like when everyone would be like, what are you, Marty McFly? Yella? He's <laughs> like, I'm going to get in a car I'm crash. Like, out. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Let it go, McFly. Go home. You're, just, you're Irish. just think of your family. <laughs> right just think that. of your family, McFly. Your it's Irish great-great-great-grandfather was right. Just walk away, you idiot. The real Illuminati mystery of that is why does his n- relative in the Old West look like Michael J. Fox instead of Crispin <laughs> Glover? Because it, you know, it, misses, it messes everything up. Why would, why would his mom be with him in the past? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, yeah, but that's right. Robert Irwin is Marty McFly of the 1920s. It's fine. Yeah. In some aspects. Continuing on, though. In, in uh, some aspects. In some aspects. Correct. Um, but Chuck continued to say some of this about uh, Robert's dalliances within the mental hospital. Quote, there was a woman at Burke Foundation. She said she was 32, but she looked older because her hair was gray. She was a waitress. She got to monkeying around with with, uh, Robert one night down in the basement. She just began to act kittenish, and he grabbed hold of her breasts, and she started giggling. He took her out one night, and and they saw Greta Garbo and Mata Hari. This must be a movie. You're right. You're right there, Alex. I'm just like, like, how does that work? I'm I'm just picturing the situation, and I'm like, how is this guy, like, Knocking him out, like getting hit homers with this, with these moves. Because <laughs> he's such, because uh, he's such a man. Don't you get it? He is. He's such His a man. Don't question it. Don't question it, Alex. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> all right. You got me. So we took her out one night, and they went to go see Greta Garbo and Matahari. 
And then they had a chicken sandwich and coffee. <laughs> and after they had a milkshake and she paid for everything. Right. Oh, because she back, wanted to get some. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Because then when they got back to, to the Burke, when they got back to the Burke Foundation, they went to the dining room and they had they fucked right there. In the on dining the room? In the dining room. <laughs> Afterward, however, Robert was deeply ashamed, saying, quote, I was so damned ashamed of myself for taking such an old looking bitch. Wow. Any letter pay money. Like, what is this guy's masculinity she defined treated by him? They went out and he, they banged. And then he's like, oh, fuck her, she was old. I can't imagine some toxic man being like, yeah, damn right. Pay for my dinner. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's nuts, dude. And then he's like, it's she was nuts. old as hell. Dude, this guy, yeah, he was ashamed because he fucked an old girl, an old woman. Or if this guy lived today, he would own a shirt that said, stop being offended. He would. You know what? If he was alive, <laughs> oh, my God. If he was alive today. He'd say meninist. He'd have, right like, a, he'd have like a controversial podcast that like nobody likes, but like somehow it has like 300,000 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Well, Chuck said that Bob's ideas had gotten so oddball that he began to simply dismiss them. But Bob had told Chuck that he decided the best way, because keep in mind too, Robert hated how horny he was. This is very important. He despised it. He wished that he wasn't horny so he could focus on the stuff that he wanted, but his own sexual urges were distracting him and he hated it. So Bob told Chuck that he decided the best way to deal with his unwanted sexual energy for the sake of his visualization, oh my god, is to chop off his own yeah, penis. I figured that's where we were I going. I knew it was fucking coming. <laughs> I figured that's where we were I going. Knew it was fucking coming. <laughs> However, he wouldn't chop off his penis in the Burke Center, and Bob eventually left the Burke Center, moving to Manhattan. And the reason he left the Burke Center was supposedly because two women kept putting sexual advances on him, and it infuriated him. So he left to get away from the women who kept trying to sleep with him. However, this final decision to move to Manhattan would set him down a path that would see his wildest fantasies and theories spin out of control and become so dangerous, he kills three people in the pursuit of his own art and visualization abilities. I, and that's where we'll pick up next this week. This is the most American story I've ever heard in my life. Believe this story. <laughs> I can't even handle it he went to new york to cut his balls off this is he, well he was already in new york that's where the center was and then he moved to manhattan new to york get away new from york. The, the women who were desperately ah. trying to just jump on his dick literally he left the, the mental facility because two women were trying to bang him he constantly. thought about so many boobies that he decided <laughs> too to cut many off his boobies penis. dude I, have you ever had thought about boobies so much you wanted to cut your own dick off i do i, I can't do say that wonder, I though if even with a uh, like not having a dick does the thought of booby stop i don't yeah you know i don't, I don't know. know i just i, I don't feel think like how it, I, yeah i don't think that's how it works yeah i don't think so either but depends on like why I'd you be care like, about I still the like them. i can't help myself <laughs> i just i love the boobies god damn it yeah i just i get well, <laughs> okay that's it, yeah, we'll right. finish up robert Irwin. next part three the finale his murders the the scene his attempted escape <sighs> he tries to get away and his trial thereafter. This is fucking nuts. This is a wild true crime. In the old, olden days, true crime stories are wild, man. It always olden seems days. like it's like a little bit impossible with the olden ones, like how far along right? everything gets. But it, I'm sure it's just true. I will. Yeah. I will say the the just going back to true crime and all that stuff, and thinking about you know the olden days of the 1920s, you know, a hundred years ago. 
Yeah. I was watching, uh, if you're ever, you know, it's, I don't know if it's Sunday night and you're just around, uh, on a lot of cable shows, they rebroadcast all those old murder mystery shows that used to be on like the mm. mid two thousands or like, you know, the 2010s are like snapped shit like that. Yeah. Like Dateline, like, you know, like this. So I was watching one and it was about a woman here in LA who was murdered. And the whole premise was like, was she working with the CIA? Her body was found in the back of a car, but she was a CIA operative. Like no one, it was, oh, it was crazy. But on the, at the crime scene, the body was discovered in, I think, 2002, something like that. And at the, or maybe it was like the early late, I'm sorry, late nineties. It was in that, like, you know, 99, 2002 two range, but they found like a drop of blood. And because DNA testing was not as good as it was, they were like, well, we don't know what to do with this. And then cut to 12 years later, they're like, yeah, let's oh, test it. <clears throat> And so they go through the process of testing it. And, the, and so even in 12 years time, technology and the things that they Blast use to forward. Yeah. Yeah. Zooms forward. And so yeah. it, they cracked the case. They solved everything based on that. It's and crazy how, it how cold much case for years. Yeah. People just got away with the, the thing yeah. that will get Robert Irwin. The thing that puts him behind bars is something that he's been doing since day one. It's his ripped picture obsession. That will be the crux of his crime. And you'll see how all that falls together. That's, that's how it worked with most olden, like olden. Yeah. Most crime back in the day was sort of like, all right, we can't get them in all the murders, but we can't get them for tax evasion. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, boom. The freaking dude, the vampire guy that I was talking about at episode 69. Like, oh, yeah. Blood on the scene. Spit yep. on the body. Jizz <laughs> on the body. Like everything is just there. And if it was just later, he would have been like done for, but he could just like right. do whatever the fuck he wants, leave a mess. And he's like, yep. He done. It doesn't matter. Just another day. You know murdering. what would have stopped him? If he had just cut off his own penis, he would have been fine. Maybe. Maybe. That's what would have stopped all I those just, urges. And he could have had, he could have discovered the power of visualization. Not if he has It's like, I'm visualizing us going to do a mini sode right after right? this. Now. Right so now? we're going to go. And where can you get it? Right if you want to hear it. And oh, you don't, no. I think you can get it at patreon.com slash Illuminati pod at the $15 tier and above. Oh my God. Look you at get, that. You get that mini. So $20 tier art, $5 tier ad free episodes, $10 tier behind the scenes scripts, notes, wow. all kinds of fun. You know, if stuff. I wasn't wow. already a host of this show, I would sign up for that right away because I don't want to miss I bet you a would. minute and I hope of this. Not a minute, not 10 minutes, not even 15. Thank you so much for, for listening everybody. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, you can hit us all on Twitter, Chiluminati Pod for the show, Mathis Games for myself, Jesse Cox for Jesse, Fasian AA for Alex, and over at the subreddit where there's more stories every goddamn day and I can't get through all of them. So if you want to hear more stories, we're going to start uh, reading a couple here and there over on the mini sodas occasionally. Go to the so. subreddit to hear the coyotes. And the coyotes, exactly. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.